Well, hello, ICC. Is a Qua Christian Church. Hello, family. That's what we are, family, right? We're in the body of Christ together, and you can see me as a brother in Christ or a, a distant cousin or a long-lost uncle or wherever you happen to land on the scale. Uh, but we're family together, and it's great to be here with you. Uh, I do want to just give you, by way of introduction before we get into the text, uh, a few thoughts. Um, I, I, I don't know when you worship if you, uh, if you go through the motions or if you listen and look at words and think about what they mean when you sing them. I, I try to. I try to be engaged so that I never get into the empty habit of praise, but uh, um, but today, there were two words that stood out to me in one of the songs several songs ago. I don't remember which one it is now. It says that we're awake and alive. And that's what I love. So I'm awake and I'm alive. Christ has called me out of darkness and called me out of a sleep. I called me out of death to be awake and alive in him. And, and so I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, there are things that I love to talk about. Um, I love to talk about kick bikes. It's a big adult scooter that I love to ride. Uh, I love to talk about donuts. I found a new donut shop in Longview, Washington at midnight on Friday night uh, while I was driving north on I-5. Siri, is there a 24-hour donut shop anywhere near me? Yes, there's one in Longview 15 minutes away. <laughs> I drove over. I found a new donut shop. Now I got a new place to stop on my way down, right? Uh, I love to talk about my kids. I mean, don't get me started. I love to talk about my kids. But you know one of the things that I really love to talk about? That I hope and I wake up every day and hope that I would be able to facilitate in my relationships throughout the day is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today, when Aaron asked if I could come and I could spend some time with y'all and dig into this scripture on Palm Sunday, uh, really it's my delight to just come and talk to you about Jesus. Like, he is so delightful to me and he is so near to me and, uh, and I want to walk with him through the day, not just in my devotional time with him where that space is set aside for he and I, but as I go, I want him to be just to be a part of the life and the rhythm that I have. And, and so today is just another moment in that journey with him to stand before you and to come to the scriptures together and to give our attention to him. And so I want to invite you to be fully present here today to, to, uh, to really just give your attention to what Jesus might be wanting to do in your life. That's what I'm asking him to do. Even while we're singing, I'm saying, Lord, would you, as I teach this again, as I, as I share with you what I've experienced in the scripture as I, as I thought about today, I'm asking God, would you show me again what you want me to see about who, you're, who you are and and who your son is, and how you want me to live with him and for him. And so I just invite you to, to do that with me today. And so Palm Sunday, uh, Pastor Aaron shared with us kind of that backdrop of what is it, and why does it exist, and why do we remember it every year. And sometimes we can get locked into like a preacher's greatest challenge. One of the greatest challenges is like, how do you take Christmas and Easter and make it fresh every year? Right? How do you keep coming back to the same passages over and over that if you've been in the church for any length of time are so familiar that it's easy to just check the box. I was there on Palm Sunday. I was there on Good Friday. I was there on Easter. It's, I've done the thing that Christians do. And I like, how do we break that empty habit and really step into the moment? And, uh, and so today, as I was thinking about this passage and coming here, I was thinking about this idea that all of us um, at some level and at some point have been connected to royalty in some way. Now, I have a friend who, uh, who, if you were to walk through the front door of her house, it would be unmistakable to you that she uh, has something going for the royal family in the UK. Now, she's connected by family heritage, but when you walk in, you'll see all the trinkets and the, and the knickknacks on the shelves and uh, the flag hanging from the wall and uh, pictures of the royal family on the wall and on all these major announcements, all the way back to even Princess Diana's marriage all those many years ago, uh, we're going to have uh, viewing parties. Come to the house and let's arrange our schedule on the UK timeline so that we can watch this live on television when it's broadcast. 
I think that's fun about her, that she loves her heritage in that way and that's important to her. And, and I just think to myself, like, people are enamored by royalty and have been for thousands of years. And when we open up tombs and, and open up places in archaeology that, that are newly discovered, often it's about those who had money and those who were royalty and who, those who were the leaders. And, and there's this fascination that we have to know about them and what is their world like. And, and here we are on Palm Sunday, and the crowd is behind this new king that they have waited, just as Aaron had said, they had waited and waited and waited. That there's between the last of the prophets and when Jesus comes on the scene, 400 years of silence from God. And then John the Baptist comes as a precursor to announce the one who is to come. And then Jesus comes. And in the beginning of his ministry, in uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, he says that he has come to bind up the brokenhearted. As he as he is there in the midst of the crowd at the synagogue. He reads from the book of Isaiah from chapter 61, 61, and he says, I'm here to bind up the brokenhearted and set free the captives and give sight to the blind. And that's the beginning of his ministry. It's the beginning of him announcing that the Messiah has arrived. And then he spends the next years of his life gathering a crowd of people that are unlike any other royal crowd that we would have expected to see. See, a king would have all of his nobles and princes and, and all of his, his entourage that are decked out in all their royal robes and, and glitter, but not Jesus. Jesus travels throughout the region collecting people who are the less than, the weak than, weaker, the people who are set aside. In uh, Matthew chapter 4, he says, from time, that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's his message, kingdom come. That's where we're headed today and Friday and next Sunday we're talking about God's kingdom here on earth, that Jesus is ushering in the kingdom. Here's the new king. And it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demons possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So you're like, what are all these? He's talking about the whole area that he was in. If you think about uh, from here to the back door as uh, kind of the pathway from Galilee where he's from to Jerusalem where he's going to give up his life, uh, he's talking about everything in the north where he's from and that surrounding region. And on the other side of the Jordan River, so if you go outside the windows into the lawn, that's the, the Decapolis, the ten cities on the other side of the Jordan, and, and all that region over there. But then also down through the heart of, 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 the, of, of Palestine, uh, of Samaria, right? There's this, this place in between Galilee and Jerusalem that nobody seems to, as a Jew would bother to go through, but Jesus goes through. And while he goes through, he's collecting this entourage of disciples, this entourage of followers, because he speaks with authority and he heals and he loves like nobody has ever loved before. And then on Palm Sunday, he finds himself in Bethany. And there's circumstances around what happens in Bethany that set him up for what's going to happen and those who are going to usher him into Jerusalem. And that's where we find ourselves on Palm Sunday is in this moment with him right before he comes in. And so if we were to play a little bit of Palm Sunday Jeopardy today, I don't know if you like the game of Jeopardy, but I would be uh, this morning asking, Alex, I'll have Palm Sunday Jeopardy for 40,051. That's an odd number to choose. 
right down there in the bottom right-hand corner? Yeah, that's the number of people in the city of Issaquah at the 2020 census. And for 40,051 souls, the answer is everyone is moved and asking, who is this? So what's my question? Everyone is moved and asking, who is this? And the question is, what happens when God's people obey and praise and proclaim Jesus? What happens when God's people obey him and praise him and proclaim him? People are stirred and people begin asking, who is this? And as we look at Palm Sunday, that's when I look at this passage in Matthew. That's where we're going to camp out today. Matthew chapter 21, if you have your Bible with you today. There's a passage in every one of the four Gospels about Palm Sunday. Today we're going to look just at Matthew chapter 21 together. But, but in the Palm Sunday, Sunday Jeopardy theme, it's this. Who is this? And why is our hearts stirred? Because those who are following Jesus, they obeyed him and they proclaimed him and they praised him. For all time, people are speculating and wondering about who Jesus is. He's debated and disputed and dismissed throughout the generations. For those who claim him, he's their Savior and Lord. To you and I who know him, he is deity. He is the creator God. But so many people see him and want him to be boxed into something less than holy God. He's thought of as a spiritual leader, as a religious guru, as a moral teacher, for some argue he was just one of many prophets of his age. But C.S. Lewis in his classic work, Mere Christianity, writes this about Jesus. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is a really powerful quote when it helps us to, to really set aside all these ideas and excuses and, and thoughts about the box that people want to put Jesus in. And Jesus says, I'm not going to be put in a box. I'm going to call you to make a decision about who you think I am. And here, Jesus in the Palm Sunday is coming into a nation, coming into a, a festival, coming into a, a place uh, where he is essentially declaring his kingship. He's been quiet up to this point. See, in previous trips to Jerusalem and, and throughout the region, when he had these interactions with people, when he healed them and cast demons out and, and he brought them you know, to sight and, and, and raised them up from the ground to stand on their two feet again, he would often send them away and tell them not to tell anybody. Because why? His time had not yet come. There was a plan the Father was unfolding leading up to this moment that we have at Palm Sunday and the week that we're going to step into this, this week. And so before this, he's been fairly quiet, wanting to do the thing that he's doing, which is gathering these misfits to follow him, these unwanted to follow him, these people who are not the normal royal entourage. But now, 
coming into Jerusalem. He's ready. He's ready to declare who he is and to set in motion the final plan to rescue people back to God. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 10, uh, they ask the question, who is this? Excuse me, chapter 21, verse 10. Let me get my, my page there. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? So I have to ask myself and, and ask you today the same consideration. Do you have a longing for Jesus to move in ways that your city would ask, who is this? Do you have a longing and a, and a desire in your heart to live in such a way and to speak in such a way that, that your neighborhood and your community and the places where you work, live, learn, and play in our community, in your community, would ask, who is this? Who is this to put your life back together and made something beautiful out of it? Who is this that healed and restored your family? Who healed you from addiction? Who changed your sadness into joy? Who provided for you when you were unemployed? Who healed your sickness? What would it look like for God to stir up a city in that way today? There are clues to how in the story of the triumphal entry, entrance back in 2,000 years ago. See, when Jesus' followers obey him, and when they praise him and proclaim him, he will get people's attention. And the final result will be people asking, who is this? Who is this? So let's talk about obedience. When we obey, God fulfills his purposes in our lives and for his glory. When we choose to walk in obedience in everyday life, we demonstrate what? That the presence of God is in us and our lives stand out among the crowd. That's kingdom one. Come, when God's kingdom comes into our lives and we walk into obedience, we're putting the kingdom on display that Jesus sent here on earth. When you're obedient to the commands of Jesus, our lives have impact on those around us and the kingdom life enters into their lives. Matthew chapter 21, verse 6, we read this about the story. The disciples, uh, so before that, uh, as they proclaimed, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, what? Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find the donkeys tied there with their, with their colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone said they, says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs you, and he will send them right away. So sometimes we race past this part of the passage, but there's this gathering in Bethany before they come down the hill into the east gate into the city. And Jesus, already knowing the Father's plan and knowing the scriptures, knowing this has all been set aside by God from the very beginning to happen, he sends his disciples to go get this colt, this donkey, that he's going to ride in on into the city. And this took place, what? To fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. So here's a fulfillment of God's scriptures that have been laid for generations before. Say to the daughters of Zion, see your king, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. This is different. At the same time, on the other side of the city, coming through the main gates of the city of Jerusalem is Pontius Pilate. He's coming from Caesarea, uh, Caesarea by the sea, which is where the Roman governor's house was, where his seat of, of authority is, but he wants to be on hand for this week because this is a pretty volatile group of people, these Jewish. When they all come together for their festivities, he wants to be present. He wants them to remind, be reminded that Rome is still occupying. Rome is still in control. Rome is still, and so as he comes through the gate, what do you hear? You hear the, the marching of soldiers, legions of soldiers. You hear the horses and the chariots, uh, the, the chafing and the squeaking in the, of the leather coming through those gates. This is a royal, this is power, this is everything you would have expected the king of Israel to look like coming through those gates. But here on the back side of the city, on the east gate in Bethany, just above the city, is this small gathering of people 
these misfits that Jesus has collected over the course of his ministry who are gathering, and he says, go get the donkey with the colt tied to it. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. I love this. We know Jesus and understand who he is when we live according to his plans and his purpose. And the way to genuinely know him and experience him fully is to listen to him and obey him. That's what happened in this moment. The disciples are sent to find a donkey and bring it back to him. It doesn't make any sense to them. They don't understand how they're going to run into this person and how does he already know that that person's going to be waiting for us. And I can imagine in their mind, they're trying to figure out like, how is this all going to come together? He's been with us the whole time. There's no way he could have gone and found this ahead of time. So he's sending us to do something. We don't really understand it, but what do they do? They go and they do it. And it sets in motion the circumstances that opens a city to ask, Who is this? Their obedience sets in motion God's plan to take us to the cross and eventually to the resurrection at the end of the week. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They had no second guessing, no side trips, no stalling. They just went and did it in obedience to Jesus, fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy. You see, the Old Testament prophecy says your king is coming to you, lowly and riding on a donkey. Jesus knew it. And he knew where it was because the Father had shared it with him. You see, the second guess would be to try and find a white stallion saddled with the best saddle and tack. Okay, he said to go get a donkey, but there's got to be a better plan. Like, let's go see what we can find. That would be second guessing. The side trip might be looked like to like stop at one of the local markets and get a little snack on the way, right? Everybody's flocking to the city and maybe, maybe a little snack before we bring him back would be, a, no, that's, that's a side trip. That's, a, that's not immediate obedience, Maybe stalling might look like a moment with Jesus where they give him another dumbfounded look. Like, you want us to do what? Like, what is it you're asking us to do? I'm not sure I get this again. Again, right? Again. That expression, what, what? But that's not what they did. And too many Christ followers today, myself included, however, we want to let what we think ought to be take priority over his actual commands. How often do I let my agenda drive the day? What I think ought to be takes priority over Jesus' commands. And there was a true spirit of, of immediate obedience among these followers. And God uses the spirit of obedience to move a city to ask, who is this? Jesus is king. His commands are still valid. His word has authority in our lives. And when we honor him by obeying it, when more of his own people begin to, now, uh, to, to know more of him through obedience to his word, we discover that his that he moves cities to ask. He moves neighborhoods, houses right next door to me are moved to ask, who is this? Why? Because I was obedient. I don't know God's plan for my neighbors. I mean, ultimately, I know his big universal plan. He wants all men to come to know him. But the pathway for how that's going to happen for my neighbor next door and my neighbor across the street and, and the people who live in my community where I spend my life, I don't know the pathway that each one of them is going to find their way to God. But what I learned from this story is that when I'm obedient to the Savior, that I can be an instrument in his hands to set in motion his plan for those people in my community. God could use my obedience to move them along his pathway to knowing him. But what we see is this in this crowd and in this story, not only are these disciples uh, obedient, but also this crowd praises him 
that the people are praising him. The people lifted up a great shout of praise as he rode in on the back of the donkey. The cloaks on the ground and the palm fronds on the ground, they're creating a royal carpet for this king that they're calling into the city, who's coming into the city, who's announcing his kingship. Why? Well, check out the headlines of the day. As you think about this crowd that's gathered in Bethany and now is being swept into the city uh, along this journey with Jesus, uh, in that crowd are all kinds of people that we recognize from the stories that we read in the New Testament. Remember back in Matthew when I read at the beginning, right, that he went throughout the region, all these different places, and gathered among him those who were paralyzed and blind and lame, those who were uh, possessed by demons, those who were sick, those who who needed the love of God and the kingdom of God come in their life to be restored and lifted up and carried along in relationship with God in a way they'd never experienced before. And now this crowd is gathered. Some of them came simply because they wanted to see Lazarus. See, not long before this, Lazarus is raised from the dead. He's a friend of Jesus. One of two times that we see where Jesus cried, Jesus wept. Every every kid in Sunday school wants to memorize that verse because it's the shortest of all the verses in the Bible. Never knowing the whole context of it, that his friend, somebody he deeply loved, has actually died and lays in a tomb. And Jesus, seeing the crowd of family and friends gathered around mourning, Jesus enters into their mourning and he cries with them. He cries for them and he cries with them because he's brokenhearted. But he knows the plan of God and himself, being obedient unto God, stayed where he was in order for all of those circumstances to unfold so that when he came to Bethany and the the family cries out, you would have been okay if you'd come earlier. And Jesus says, yeah, but I was obedient to the Father and I stayed where I was. But I'm now here and I'm obedient to the Father and I want you to roll that stone away. And he rolls the stone away and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave and he's alive again. And Jesus' obedience to stay where he was set in motion God's plan to be able to raise Lazarus from the dead so that those who were there in that moment could give praise to God and lift up their hearts to God, right? This is it. When God's people praise, they praise God for bringing Lazarus back to them. Again, he's alive. He's in their community. And now on Palm Sunday, there's a crowd gathered in Bethany. Why? Because many of them wanted to come and meet this guy, Lazarus, that they'd heard about because the story had spread that he'd been made alive again. So they're there to see Lazarus, not just Jesus, but Lazarus. We've got to see this guy. We've got to hear his story. And you know what? who else is there? Blind Bartimaeus. He's been blind. And they're second guessing who he is and like, did he really heal you? And are you really? Yeah, Bartimaeus was blind and God, Jesus gave him sight and he could see again. And there's another man that laid by a pool for 38 years hoping he could get down to the water and it never happened until Jesus showed up and just said, you don't need that water. What you need is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to restore you. And he picked up his mat and he walked and he was healed and he's in that crowd. And then we're all there and we're having a great time. Think about it. If you were there, if you and I were there right now, we'd be rubbing shoulders with people we'd never met before. And I want to ask you, why are you here? Who are you here to see? Don't you know about him? Oh yeah, my cousin, my cousin was sick and he came and healed him. And my, my uncle was demon possessed for years and we didn't know what to do with him. And Jesus showed up on the scene and, and those demons are gone and he's alive now. He's, he's back to his right mind and he's a part of our family. And this crowd that's gathered in Bethany is looking to Jesus and saying, here is our king. Now we know that they wanted to install him as their king to overthrow Pontius Pilate and Caesar and the Romans who were occupying. Right? They had a, a geopolitical thing in mind that they hoped would happen. They didn't really understand the plan of God for kingdom come and what it meant, the kind of kingdom that Jesus was bringing. But they understood who Jesus was and the kingdom they currently experienced. 
where he had made them alive and new. And what happens because of that? They praise him. Blind men receive sight. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Sickness is healed. Demons are driven out. In our day, in this moment, we're going to have a moment here at the end of this message where I'm going to invite you to pray prayers of praise of how God is in your story. Thinking about that. How is he in your story? Marriage is restored. Sickness given to health. Hope is renewed. Relationships that bring life. I'm supposed to be in my notes here somewhere, I'm sure. I think I have this list for you somewhere. Uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to get there. We're just going to keep going. And, and so uh, this idea that, that Jesus is at work right now in our lives. He has something to say about the story that we're living and that we can praise him. Jesus begins his descent into Jerusalem. The people begin to praise him and honor him. They carpeted the road with their coats and their palm branches as they shouted their praise. Hosanna, here it is. I knew I could find it. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, Yahweh, who has saved us and is saving us and will save us. And they lifted up their shouts of praise. Why shouts of praise and why now? Why stand on the road with this crowd and shout it out? Because of all these stories we've just reviewed. All these lives that have been changed. All these moments where people have had an encounter with Jesus and, their, Jesus and their life has never been the same. So praise him today. Do you have a reason to stand and shout? Do you have a reason to come in on Sunday morning and lift up your songs of praise as we look at I'm alive and well because Jesus came in. He came in and restored my life when I was five years old. And when I was 15, I remade, rene, renewed that commitment and have been trying to say yes to Jesus ever since. But you know what? I don't want to live on the shirt tails of what happened decades ago in my life. I want to tell you about what Jesus did this week in my life. I want a story on my lips today when I wake up to tell you about how good my Savior is. That we can share together, we can praise together, that I can share with my neighbors, with my community, with the gal who gave me coffee today at the coffee stand, that he is quick to be on my lips because he's the most important person in my life. Let's praise him because when we do, a city will be stirred and people will have to ask, who is this? Who is this? And when they ask, who is this? We have the incredible privilege of getting to proclaim him, to be able to proclaim him with a spirit of immediate obedience and a heart of praise with the crowd, this crowd, they also began to proclaim him to the crowds who asked, who is this? They hungered for their neighbors to meet their Messiah, their Savior, their Lord, their King. His name was on their lips and in their hearts, and they looked forward to telling anyone who would listen about their Messiah and the Lord. The moment was fragrant with enthusiasm. Caught up in the excitement of the moment, the people look, looking on began to ask, who is this? This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, of Galilee. Who is this? Who is this that transformed your life, who put your family back together, who brought you peace in the midst of such tragedy, who enabled you to be victorious over your addiction, who gave you hope in the darkness of your circumstances? Who is this? This is Jesus. And when we are obedient and when we praise him, People will ask, who is this? And then we have the opportunity to proclaim him. And some of y'all are thinking, like, I don't know how to proclaim him. Like, I don't know how to lead somebody to Christ, and that's not what I'm talking about. You don't have to know how to lead somebody to Christ to be able to tell people about the Jesus that you love. Just tell them about him. What do you know about him? How do you know that he came into your life? Tell the story of where he's at work 
and what He's doing in you. When you faced difficult circumstances and you prayed and cried out to Him and He answered, tell people that story. I have stories. I have stories. I've just, even this morning on my way here driving, I live in South Auburn, uh, on my way here, I was thinking to myself, what story would I want to tell somebody today? And I'm just being reminded this week um, that God intervened in my life in a powerful way in August of 2021, just six months ago. Six months ago, on August 1st, I had a stroke. And uh, that's a big deal. It's a big deal for anybody. It's a big deal especially for me because when I was 15, my dad had a stroke that left him unable to speak for the rest of his life. Changed everything about my world. And it was a defining moment in my life when I said I could either do like my family does and live by drinking and drugging to deal with the pain of my life, or I could say yes to the Jesus I know that I already believe in, but I've never really experienced fully. And I had a spiritual mentor who encouraged me to choose, and I said, I already know what my choice is. I choose Jesus. I've already rejected this. A family that's been marked by drug and alcohol addiction, I didn't want anything of it from a small child. And so when I faced major tragedy at 15, I said yes to Jesus. And I never stopped saying yes. And on August 1st, hit with a ton of bricks, I had a stroke. This wasn't supposed to be my pathway. I wasn't supposed to have to live out what my family had already lived out. But it's what happened. And thankfully, six months later, I have no residual effect from my stroke. Right? Praise God. And I want to live for him every day of my life and say yes to him every day of my life. And I go, God, why did God intervene? I think because God has work for me to do. Every day I wake up and I have breath in my lungs, he has got work for me to do. There's stories he wants me to tell and people he wants me to connect with. He wants me to be obedient in my everyday life, to obey him and to praise him and to proclaim him to anybody that will listen. What's your story? Where is he at work in your life? My wife and kids are in Fresno, California right now, visiting my mother-in-law, whose health is not in good, not good at all. And three times in the last three months, I've been able to send my wife to California for a week to spend with her family. Do I have budget for that? No. But every single time we needed to send her, God provided finances for her to go. And I'm praising God that they're there this week to, to love on her and be involved in her life. And that's my story, is that my God is a God of provision that he provides for these moments when my wife's heart longs to be close and to love and to be alongside her siblings and her mom and uh, for my kids to be there, to be with their grandmother, not knowing whether it'll be today or a year or 10 years from now that God takes her home, God provides. And when I get to tell that story and people are like, wow, you're like different from any other Christian I've ever met before. Like, well, no praise to me, no boasting of me. Like, I just want to tell you about this great God that I serve. I just think my Jesus is like, He's the, he's the best thing since before sliced bread. And, uh, and that's what I want to know. And so this morning, as we come to Palm Sunday, I say, let's, let's, let's throw off the habit of coming to Holy Week and marching through these services, Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter. And let's just fully be fully present for what God wants to speak into our lives. And what he's speaking into my life, Weston, is will you be obedient today? Because you don't know what my plans are, but I do. And if you'll walk in obedience, you will help put in motion the things that I have for the people who live around you and will you praise him because he's at work in your life and will you praise will you proclaim him to others that's all i'm simply choosing to do for myself and i get the privilege of coming today and spending some time telling you about the most important person in my life the one that i want to talk the most about and inviting you to join me in doing that this week what a greater what greater week of the year do we have than to walk in this way than the week of easter well, here's what I want to do. Uh, I don't have any idea what time I'm supposed to be done. I just didn't have, you, you gave a preacher a mic and here we go, right? Um, but, but I want to do a little uh, audience participation, right? 
family participation because that's what we are here. And I just want to invite you to pray with me. Would you be bold with your voice? No microphones, just stand up and talk or just from where you're at, project your voice. But let's just pray together. And rather than sharing your story today, I'd love for you to just pray your story. If you could, in one word, declare the goodness of God in your life, in a word or two, declare the goodness of God in your life by saying, God, you are, or God, thank you because, or God, I worship you today because. You want to fill in one of those sentences, and let's just pray those prayers of praise and proclaim together with each other his goodness as our king who came in humility on a donkey to save the least of these rather than the greatest in that community or the greatest in our community. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's the story of Zacchaeus. That's another story we could have talked about. I wonder, is Zacchaeus here on Palm Sunday? Right? Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. He didn't ask for an invite. He made an invite. Like, I'm coming. I'm coming to have dinner with you. Do you know Jesus is inviting you today? Hey, I want to come have dinner with you. I want to have lunch with you. I want to come dine with you. I want to come be in presence with you. So let's do that. Let's go into his presence and to pray. And I just want you to be courageous in this crowd, people you know and people you don't know. I want you to be bold, not for our sake, but for his sake, that he would receive the glory through our praise together in prayer. And then when we're done, I'm going to close us in prayer and Pastor Aaron's going to come and lead us in a time of communion. And uh, we're going to have a great end to our Palm Sunday. So let's pray together. Father God, I do just cry out to you. Thank you that you have sent us a king who came on a donkey in humility, who loved well and declared your kingdom come. And so now we lift up our voices in prayer and in praise and in worship to you. And God, I declare, I am alive and well. Father, do we together declare your praises today? We want to be people who, who hunger and long to tell others the story of, of where you're at work in our lives and in our community. God, you give us eyes to see uh, that you are on the move and that we would be courageous and willing and, and ready uh, to enter into the work that you're doing. God, thank you for the testimony of your scripture. We write, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And God, that's our great hope too, is that the nations would put their hope in you just as we have. And that Lord, one person at a time, one family at a time, one nation at a time, we would see you sweep across this land and your kingdom come. Amen.